So you wouldn't believe what just happened, but actually I just recorded this episode and I listened back to the recording and there were little glitches throughout the whole recording. So I think it's time to get a new recorder. <laughs> um, it was sort of like jumping forward and backwards in time. So I was starting the episode and you could hear pieces of the middle of the episode cutting in to the beginning. It was kind of interesting. I wouldn't really call it artistic, but more, uh, I'd call it more annoying than anything. Anyway, let's get this done. <laughs> All right, so this is the 13th episode of the podcast and that's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, it's, it's wow, I can't believe it actually. 13th episode. I think it's going pretty good. Um, starting to get more comfortable with the process, still working out my flow and all that. But every time uh, seems to be getting a little bit easier, just a little bit easier. So I wanted to talk today about this negative core belief of I'm not good enough and I need to be better. And I want to talk about this because I feel that it's a belief that a lot of us struggle with. I struggle with it for 27 years of my life. So I feel like I'm kind of an expert on it at this point. And all of the other people who struggle with it as well. Um, but the reason why I wanted to talk about it today is that this belief is what's behind a lot of our negativity and our negative beliefs, but namely self, self-criticism, self-doubt and self-repression. Uh, I was going to say self-recession. <laughs> and I wanted to take a look at what makes up this belief and why it affects us so much and where it started, basically where it comes from and why it, what, what keeps it going. And also what doesn't keep it going. You know, some of the ways we can use awareness to start coming out of this belief and basing ourselves more in a direct experience of, of reality instead of uh, these beliefs that sometimes we're unconscious of, these negative self-beliefs. So here we go for the second time. <laughs> now that I'm going to I'm going to finish this recording and there's just going to be more glitches. If that's the case, I don't know, I'll probably scream a bit and then try and record it again on something else. So I just wanted to start by looking basically at what a belief is. And my definition of a belief is basically the ability of our minds to interpret our experiences, interpret the experiences that we have and say or um, predict that something is like this or it's like that. And we form beliefs via our interpretations of the perceptions we have of an experience. 
and we'll interpret an experience in a certain way based on our previous interpretations and our previous beliefs. The beliefs that we've formed previously prior to the occurrence of the new experience. Another way we can look at what a belief is, is it's like a custom-made lens which we are interpreting our experiences through. And these, these lenses are unique to us. They've been crafted by us, by our past interpretations, and they'll, they'll affect how we see the world because we're looking at the world through these lenses. Well, they, they've been formed by our, our past experiences and previous beliefs that we've formed. So it would make sense that these lenses provide a subjective experience of reality. And I'm defining reality here as, as the direct experience of perception, our, our five senses. So the, these lenses form the subjective version of, of reality. And you can imagine if, if, if we're not aware of the beliefs that are operating, the beliefs that we hold, it's kind of like we don't know we're looking through a lens at the world. We don't know we are having a subjective experience of what's going on. And sometimes this subjectivity can be pretty close to what's going on, just slightly altered, and other times it can be drastically different. When we're aware of the lenses that we're looking through, we then have a choice to either look through the lens or not and experience events directly through through our direct perceptions of them. So if it's our beliefs that that determine the way we interpret our experiences, then there's a tremendous amount of freedom of choice once we start becoming aware of these these lenses that uh, that we're looking through. The positive lenses, the positive beliefs don't usually cause us so much trouble. And they're certainly not the focus of this episode. What I want to focus on today is this core negative self-belief of I'm not good enough and I need to be better. Because it's this self-belief which is behind a lot of our other negative self-beliefs. So I've got a little story here of when I was in when I was in high school, high school's a pretty awkward time for for everyone. But I think dealing with this this belief like I'm not good enough, like I'm I'm already at this base of inadequacy kind of makes things a bit stronger. You know, I'd just be walking to class and I suddenly became aware of my arms were swinging as I walked. And I thought that's that's not how people's arms swing like my arms are not swinging correctly no that's they're wrong they're swinging they're swinging wrong and someone's going to see me swinging my arms like crazy and really they weren't swinging like crazy they're just normal walking arms so I decided to to just put my hands in my pockets so my arms because I couldn't work out how to swing my arms when I walked what was the right way to do it so I just gave up and put my hands in my pockets so this, this thought that I was swinging my arms really strangely came from this belief that I was inherently flawed, that I wasn't good enough and I needed to be better in some way. Like I needed to swing my arms better. 
And I just want to break down what makes, what goes into this belief of I'm not good enough. Like what, what are the parts to this belief? And it, it can take a few different forms. And if you do a bit of exploring for yourself, especially if you use the technique um, I'm going to outline uh, towards the end of this episode for exploring your own uh, negative self-beliefs. If you use that technique, you'll probably find that the the negative self-beliefs that you come to will be unique to you. So this is just the one I've become aware of. And it's it, as I said, it's a core belief. So it is often at the base of some smaller negative beliefs like, you know, I'm not smart enough. Um, I can't understand mathematics, so I need to study harder. I need to get better at, um, well, I need to have more muscles, so I need to work out. Why? Because because being skinny isn't good. You're not good enough. People don't like you. All these things where we're not accepting how we are right now um, come back to, I've found, this core belief of I'm not good enough and I need to change. I need to be better in some way. If we break it down, this belief is basically saying you're inadequate right now. As you are right now, you're inadequate and you need to change something. You need to change yourself or something else or get something else or be someone else to become better in some way, to be smarter, to be funnier, to be more likable, to to receive love. So it's, it's this conditional belief that how you are is inadequate. You're inherently flawed and inadequate right now and you need to change so you will be better. So you won't be flawed anymore. So it's pretty intense, I reckon. And, uh, you know, when I first became aware of this, actually, I I only became aware of it when I was looking at the dynamics of how beliefs were formed. And, um, And once I understood that, I traced these dynamics all the way back to childhood. And these are where these these core beliefs start, usually when we're when we're children, because it's these experiences we have as children that affect us the most. You know, it's commonly believed that the most the most influential and, and formative years of of a young child is between the age of zero and five years old, and it's the time when we're still forming our impressions of the world and who we are how other people are, how we react, how we should react and whatever. So they're all shaped, we're being shaped really significantly, I should say, by the experiences that are happening around us and the, and, and how we interpret those experiences. So that's why I wanted to give a little background uh, section on how we form beliefs because once we understand that, we can begin to understand where some of these these really powerful uh, negative core beliefs come from and why they affect us so, so greatly. Now, I've got a little story here. So I'm going to get into my storytelling mode, storytelling voice, storytelling bend time. So here we go. Once upon a time, <laughs> once upon a time, there was a girl named Samantha. One sunny day, Samantha was painting in her room. Her mother had just bought her a brand new set of paints and she was painting lions and tigers, birds and rainbows, flowers and clouds and balls and everything. Every painting was amazing. She became so happy and delighted with her own creations that she wanted to share her creations with her mummy to show her what wonderful things she'd done with her new paints. 
So she gathered up her most bestest paintings and ran out to the kitchen where she knew her mummy was. Mummy was sitting at the table with a friend when Samantha ran into the room and enthusiastically yelled, Mummy, Mummy, look what I did! Samantha's mother looked over and saw that Samantha had red paint all over her new dress. Samantha, look at the mess you've made. You've gotten paint all over your dress. Oh, you've ruined it. I'm very cross. That's, that's as good as I can do. I, I can't really get that cross. And I'm not a mother yet, so... Can you imagine the, the, the shock that would have run through Samantha when she came out and she just wanted to share her creativity, her creations, her expression with her mom. She was so proud. And then she's met with, you know, her mother just starts yelling at her. And from Samantha's perspective, she just wanted to share how happy she was with the painting and the new paints and expecting her mum to be filled with this this sense of, of, of wonder and joy, the same feelings that she was feeling. She wanted to share how freaking happy she was and she just gets she just gets blasted by someone she deeply trusts and she had no idea that her mother was going to respond in that way she didn't even know she had red paint on her dress so she was completely open and completely vulnerable and she's hit by this this anger and this shame that her mother just just throws on her and obviously this is going to cause Samantha a huge deal of, of emotional pain and, so, and sort of a pretty deep psychological wound, if you think about it, being so open and so vulnerable and being hit with this, this spear of, of anger and shame. I mean, damn, that's going to hurt. And, and also, I mean, this, this situation, even though this is a story, can you imagine if... Samantha's mother had also hit her while she was telling her off and and how much that would have increased the, the psychological wound and shock and terror that would have gone through her mind. So that kind of trauma, how does a child begin to process such a painful experience, such a shockingly unpredictable experience? Well, what happens in most cases is that children come away from an experience like that, feeling that they were at fault because they have no understanding of the mother's state of mind or what the mother takes to be important. So these traumatic experiences can happen quite a few times during our childhood and leave us feeling responsible for all of them. That we, you know, and here's the belief, this is when the belief starts forming, I'm not good enough, I need to be better. Samantha had no idea she had red paint on her dress. But one thing's for sure, Samantha is not going to blame her mother for getting that angry at her because Samantha depends on her mother and her father or whoever her parental guardians are at the time for love and support and nurturing and care. She depends on them for, for survival. For survival. Without them, she will die. So, you know, and at that age... Between the ages of zero and five, you almost look at your parents like these godlike creatures who are just towering above you. They seemingly know everything there is to know about the world. They're never wrong. They're always right. So if they're telling me I'm wrong and I messed up, 
then obviously I'm wrong because I'm not a god, I'm not that tall, I'm not that smart, so yeah, I'm wrong. And plus they give us so much love and hugs and pats and all this stuff. And because we want to feel this love and acceptance and, and feel this, this sense of validation and inclusion in, a, in our families as, a, as a, just a child, we're going to adapt and change our behavior depending on how that love comes to us and how it doesn't. So in the case of Samantha, she's going to be very, very careful next time she's painting, especially with red paint. Because last time that happens, happened, she was wrong. She messed up. She made a big mistake based upon the reaction of her mother. That was crazy big. She messed up big time. So that's never going to happen again. So she will change her behavior in a number of ways to make sure that that pain, that terror, that fear is never experienced again. And also so that love can keep coming and that validation and that happiness, all the good stuff that she needs to grow and, 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 and be nourished by keeps coming to her. So we're going to change the way we, we act because we want this love and acceptance to keep coming to us, but we also never want to experience that, those painful experiences again because they're just so damn painful and so unexpected that we'll do anything we can to stop them from happening again. And a few of the ways I'd just like to look at today are, you know, these protective mechanisms that form are actually the very things that are blocking this authenticity. And they're, again, they're based in fear, but they're, these are protective mechanisms which just stop this flow coming through. I mean, we, we, obviously, we, don't want to f- we do not want to experience pain. And, and these protective mechanisms that stop our flow are self-criticism, doubt, and self-repression. I mean, these are the three I just want to look at today because they have the biggest impact on, on us being us, us just expressing ourselves. Now, self-criticism is an interesting one because take, take for example, um, my, my little story, you know, about my awkward walking arms story. I didn't want anyone else to criticize how I was swinging my arms. So what I did was I criticized myself first in order to be in control of when that criticism came. Whereas if I was unaware of it or if I, if I kept them swinging and someone uh, criticized me, I'm going to feel this, this incredible amount of pain. So I minimized the perceived hurt I could have felt if someone came out of the blue and said, hey, your arms look crazy silly, you should probably stop that. Um, you just look like you look really uncoordinated right now. So uh, I just want to move on to self-doubt. Self-doubt usually arises when our inner drives have been criticized or heavily questioned, critically questioned by someone we respect, like a, like a mother or father or an older sibling. And these inner drives are things like, you know, our innate drive to just explore and be curious and to learn in our own way um, by touching, tasting, smelling, pulling, grabbing, whatever. And you can imagine being a little kid and 
just exploring in the sand pit or maybe maybe putting some sand in your mouth or throwing some sand out of the sand, sand pit or just to see what would happen or pouring some sand on the cat or something like that and then having having your dad just yell at you saying hey no or whatever it is you're going to get this giant shock and and feel like you've 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 done something wrong i mean you will adapt to that you're being told you're wrong right now so you will take that on board this godlike creature is telling you you're wrong then you're wrong because you want the love to keep flowing self doubt comes into the mix because then we're suddenly aware of we can get it wrong we can we can mess up and someone might get freaking angry at us and yell at us exactly like our dad did and that was really painful before so we don't want that to happen again so we doubt our abilities to get it right and what that ends up in is us feeling shut down and and sort of powerless over over taking action for ourselves and just trusting our innate abilities. I mean, I've had a lot of difficulty with just with this podcast, just trusting that I can get a clear message across with using my voice and my mind and just be able to formulate coherent sentences and be able to string thoughts together. You know, I doubted that I could do that in the right way. I I was afraid that I would do it in a wrong way or in a way that people wouldn't understand. So I it's t- it's taken me a long time to get to this point and you can probably hear there's a bit more of a flow in my voice these days and that's simply by 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 me keep keeping on uh, trying to do this being a bit stubborn about it but anyway there has been a lot of doubt in the past and there is still doubt there for sure about how well or how right um I can podcast or how right I can share my my thoughts and feelings on on the things I'm talking about. So pretty closely linked to self-doubt is self-repression. When we when we repress ourselves from maybe expressing something or saying something because we don't feel it's safe. Somehow when we're young we haven't we, we've got the message that it's not safe. And again, self-criticism, self-doubt and self-repression are all offshoots and protective mechanisms of the painful experiences we had as children which we come away with feeling like we are fundamentally flawed in some way this indwelling flow inside us wants to be expressed it doesn't want to be kept inside that's that's the opposite of its natural state to to stay still and stagnate the longer this repression goes on the more unhappy we'll become until we either suffer suffer a mental breakdown which is pretty pretty intense or continue to to live the rest of our lives in a constant su- state of suppression and 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 just always feeling like we're not quite being ourselves or not we're not quite speaking our truth and we're not quite realizing our fullest potential that sounds like a horrible way to live to me and this is why I'm I'm so passionately behind sharing the things that help us uncover our natural state of being because it's a gift to ourselves mostly and all of those around us benefit directly from the energy the happiness the the the, the flow that can come through us and it it manifests in in all the things we create the conversations we have 
it infuses all of the the parts of our life with this 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 authentic awesomeness that's that's as good as i can explain it right now in this moment so this anyway so you get the point i'm passionate about this stuff i'm not good enough and i need to be better this core belief might have seemed true when we were young kids and we depended on the love and acceptance of our parents but right now things are a lot different this is a different moment and possibly 16, 20, 25, 30, 40 years later from when you were a child, perhaps more, and we have the opportunity to take a look back at these beliefs and see if they're still valid. I've got a technique here, just one technique, and it's a technique for becoming more aware of some of these beliefs that are lying beneath beneath the surface, just sort of at a level that we're not quite aware of them. We, we can sense there's a feeling of wrongness and, and crappiness there, but we, don't, we can't quite put a face to it, so to speak, or we can't quite work out what the details or the conditions of this, this shitty feeling is. So one of the ways I like to explore things further is through writing. And I wrote a post all about free writing on the blog it's called free writing, a handy tool for inner exploration, I think it's called. And and free writing is great. Free writing is more about just letting this authentic flow uh, flow. Th- f- it's really hard to say a lot of flow and freely words all at once. Um, it's all about free writing is all about connecting with that authentic flow again and and just expressing yourself through. Any words that you that come out are just the words that come out. There's no there's no judgments brought to the table. It's just you write what you write and that's it. It's free, it's writing. That's all there is to it. But this technique is also about writing and a little bit more specific in its focus. So the way we do this is by becoming aware of our strong emotional reactions and the circumstances that have happened around it. Um, in the case of, of me swinging my arms around like a seemingly awkward, strange person, um, you know, using that as an example, I would write down what I was doing at the time that I felt so awkward, like just so completely wrong with just swinging my arms. So I was walking between the maths and the science building and suddenly I became aware of my arms and I felt this complete awkwardness and shock, like, oh my God, how I'm swinging my arms wrong. So that's just how you start. You know, you just start by becoming aware of, of this, any strong emotional reaction, um, which could occur during an argument, a phone call, a business meeting. And then at any point, if you want to dive deeper, like taking me walking to class, for example, and swinging my arms, I'd be like, why, why did I feel so awkward about swinging my arms in that way? And I can, you know, just by asking that why question, I'm, I'm sort of drilling down a layer and, and sort of getting a bit deeper and I'm focusing my attention on, on, on how I felt and, and why that was. And I ask myself, I write down why, why did I feel so awkward? Why did I feel like my arms were flailing around crazily? 
And I ask that question and I, and I write down an answer or, or another question, depending on what comes. Because I thought, here's the answer, here's the response. Because I thought that my arms were swinging around in the wrong way, like they were swinging too far away, too far apart. And then the question might be, is there a right way to swing your arms? Why, why, why is swinging your arms so far apart bad or wrong? But because people might laugh at me. And then why, why would people laugh at you? So I'm, you know, I'm writing all this down. It's like a dialogue with yourself. And every time you ask that why question, you can really imagine you're, you're drilling down deeper into the core of, of your belief of what's causing you to feel so awkward or feel so uh, inadequate that you've had this reaction that that has resulted in self-criticism, self-doubt, or, or, or the repression of yourself. It's good to have a, a single place where you, where you can write down these reactions and the the experiences that have surrounded these these reactions and for me I keep I, you know I would either use a, a journal or a, a writing program and I, I, I call the I call the act of doing this and where you keep it I call this an awareness journal just the very act of doing this exercise and asking yourself why you felt that way naturally increases our awareness in the areas we're looking and over time, our awareness increases to such an extent that we're like, oh, wow. And then we come to this point where we realize, oh, there's the core belief. There's the core negative self-belief that's been holding me back. You then have the choice to act in accordance with them or not. And you might be wondering, well, how? once I'm aware of them, how do I not act in accordance with them? Well, it makes it a lot easier when you can have a sense of yourself separate from these beliefs and what they're telling you. And the way I like to do that is simply by sitting quietly and becoming aware of the direct, my direct perceptions of, of what I'm experiencing now. And we're talking about perceptions here, so all about sensations. You know, what are you smelling? What are you... What are you feeling with your feet? What are you feeling with your hands? What does that feeling of insecurity feel like in your stomach? Become aware of how it feels as a sensation and not as an interpretation of that sensation. So through becoming aware of the, the dire- our direct sensory perceptions of, of reality we can begin to understand that, that we are separate from these beliefs because in that direct sensory perception, ask yourself, where do those beliefs live? Where are they to be found? So I think that's about it. I'm going to wrap this episode up. And my goal here was just simply to provide clarity on where this belief of, of I'm not good enough, I need to be better comes from and why it is such a powerful factor in our lives when we remain unaware of it because it just operates in the background and often we're reinforcing it with the way we criticize ourselves and doubt our abilities and repress our natural indwelling 
drive to express ourselves and create and share and connect with other people. You know, it's behind all of these things. And simply by, by bringing some more awareness to the table and using this technique of writing everything down, we can begin to see the reasons why we acted that way. And usually what we find is that we, we initially felt not good enough and we felt afraid of encountering the same pain and suffering we did as a child. So that's about it, guys. Um, I hope that this recording came out clean, no glitches. I really don't want to record this again, <laughs> even though it's been fun. Yeah, I think it's time to shut off the recorder, get some sleep, and um, begin thinking about next week's episode. Oh, what about feedback? Hey, I would love to hear hear from you guys, even if it's just, um, even if it's just cool episode, man. Uh, constructive criticism. You know, I'm all about making this as good as I can, as clear as I can, as concise as I can, so you get the most value out of this. Um, today's episode was a big one. It took me many hours to prepare the outline just to get clear on what I wanted to say and sort of to, to present it in as clear a way as I could with the unexpected glitches. Wow. It took a long time to record this one, probably over two and a half hours, two or three hours, but, um, I think it's worth it. It's, it's stuff, it's valuable stuff. And I wanted to share that in the hopes that, that people would get something from it and be able to uh, ultimately express themselves more freely and with more just just being yourself, being who you are. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's my website, and I'm, I'm headed to bed. And I will see you next week. Peace out and cheers. Cheers.